So uh, this is the Oregon Libertarian Podcast. Uh, I am Peter Panarchy. I am an organizer for the Oregon Mises Caucus. I am the vice chair of the Libertarian Party Public Policy Board of Oregon. So today we wanted to talk about a couple things. I uh, wanted to recap a little bit on the Rage Against the War Machine protest uh, that happened uh, this past weekend across the country. Uh, Will Hobson, our next chair of the Libertarian Party of Oregon, uh, was in D.C., he said that there were anywhere between a thousand and uh, I guess uh, more than that people there. I guess some people have said that there's only a couple hundred people there, but I guess yeah. it depends on the time of the event and what you clock it at. But we know there are a lot of people there, had a lot of really good speakers, uh, Ron Paul, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Dennis Kucinich, uh, Max Blumenthal was actually my favorite speech that I actually saw after the fact, uh, the line that he had about, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, uh, neoconservatives love to say that uh, we fight them over there so we don't have to fight them over here. So I say that we fight the neoconservative war machine here before they kill another million people over there. Uh, that was really powerful. Um, just a really good event overall. Um, it did receive some negative uh, coverage, I guess, in the press, as we could expect. Uh, I watched uh, Rachel Maddow's coverage of the event uh, before uh, this, and of course, she described it as an unorganized pro-Russia rally. Um, it was filled with uh, proud boys and weird people and uh, described as small and annoying, but I guess in regards to the pro-Russian elements, uh, Pablo from the Oregon Mises Caucus did some research on this. And it turns out that the Center for Political Innovation was in attendance. And uh, they published a tweet that said, the CPI wishes to apologize to the organizers of Rage Against War. Uh, we use Russian flags at our events and support Russia against U.S. imperialism. One of our members waved a Russian flag and was in the camera shot of, of speakers. We did not intend to inappropriately impose our politics. So it sounds like that was the cause. Some of, some of us thought they might have been feds or something like that, but it sounds like there's just a, a couple people there that were very pro-Russia. But, I mean, this is kind of what happens when you have a really wide coalition of people that all are just there to oppose World War III. So it sounds like a great majority of the people in attendance were there for um, to rage against war. Uh, through the People's Party and Libertarian Party. And I was just really happy that we were able to get that many people together. I saw a really great vote photo of Tulsi Gabbard, Dennis Kucinich, uh, Ron Paul, um, and I believe like one other former presidential candidate. So really good uh, group of people there. Does anyone care to comment on the negative press that we've uh, seen so far on the event or in the, in the event in general? Well, don't worry. If it was Rachel Maddow, nobody saw it. So, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't get a, I didn't get um, the opportunity to listen to a lot of it. I listened to some of it, and these, you know, the information and the speeches were very good. Um, and you know, there was nothing there that would indicate that it was any kind of support for Russia. It was just, we don't need to be over there killing everybody or supplying the tools to do it, really. Yeah, I think one of the things I said on Twitter was, let's apply Occam's razor here. What's more likely that the Libertarian Party was infiltrated by the Russian government and is now a pro-Russian government authoritarian party and has disregarded their entire platform, or 
there were a couple of counter protesters slash people that we might not necessarily agree with that uh, were there. And I guess on that, also to say like uh, Jason Hinkle, not a good person and unfortunate that uh, he was there. I uh, don't agree with his policies and I'm not sure why the People's Party wanted him to speak. But uh, I mean, I, I think that's really the only speaker that as a whole, I think we disagree with. But any comment, any of this, Greg or Risto, before I take Brady's call? I say go ahead. All right. What's up, my um, fellow humans? Hey, good to have you here, buddy. Greetings. The majority of the criticism that I've been hearing of the rally has been coming from uh, clout chasers, kind of uh, access journalists, you know, um, people who aren't really very serious. But I do have some criticisms myself of the rally. And one of them is the music selection, I think could have been a little better. Not a big deal. It was great. I think they sounded fine. But um, I'm hosting my own Rage Against the War party here in Texas coming up. And we got some really great music lined up already. And another thing that I'm doing different in my rally is I'm specifically inviting pro-war people to the rally. I'm looking for at least 10 pro-war people to debate live. And um, I'm so everyone is invited to the rally, as a matter of fact. Um, even um, as a one of the goals of the rally is to uh, remove Nazi tattoos live with a laser. So that's one of the achievements we hope to unlock eventually. Um, this is just the first one, so I don't think we, we might not be making that happen round one. But if we can get some consecutive uh, anti-war parties going, I think eventually we could run into some guys with Nazi tattoos and get them to agree to have them basically removed live at the anti-war rally. I think that would be really cool. King of the lasers over here. Uh, understanding you might have some questions for us on libertarian ideology. We don't have the camera set up, but we could probably get that at the end. <clears throat> don't have a lot of content to get through. So if you got questions for us, I think we could probably just nip that at the end there. Hey, Brady, can I ask what, yeah, a, I just did what, a, what a pro-war person would be saying that you'd be debating with? Oh, probably that we need to defeat Russia to prevent them from taking over Ukraine and the expansion of Russia. And if we allow Russia to do this, Russia is just going to keep expanding. It's probably what I expect to hear a lot. I was just curious what you meant by per war. Thank you. That, that clarifies it beautifully. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I guess the last thing I'll say on this topic is there are some elements in the Libertarian Party of Oregon that we're unhappy better support for this protest. They are small and uh, relatively annoying. And uh, they were invited to this podcast and they did not show up. So I think uh, we have a convention coming up in May and I will expect that uh, resoundingly the Mises Caucus of Oregon will regain control of the Libertarian Party of Oregon. I guess I should have said this at the top, but Nothing we say here is supposed to be inferred as the official policy of the Oregon Libertarian Party. But, you know, the Mises Caucus is pretty much the Libertarian Party of Oregon at this point. Uh, there were pretty much everybody that was on the board before we took over has retired besides a few people. 
But anyways, uh, I think we're going to move on, I guess, to uh, balloonomania or balloonophobia, whatever you want to call it. Um, I was highly amused at how boomers all across America are terrified of balloons over the last couple of weeks. Uh, as everybody knows, uh, there was a Chinese weather balloon spotted over uh, the West Coast, I think like two weeks ago now. And apparently they decided that it was a good idea to fly fighter jets and shoot it down with a Sidewinder missile. And I guess the Chinese government still says to this day that it was not a surveillance device. It was just a weather balloon. But I mean, the Chinese have satellites. They could probably get better pictures of what's going on in the United States than any balloon could get. I guess a resident, like weird tech expert, Brady, do you have any comments on like, weather balloons versus satellites or even surveillance balloons, what they could capture? Well, a weather balloon would give you a more clear picture depending on, it depends on the, the quality of the camera and then its location. So, but I mean, you could put a cheaper camera on a balloon and get a better image than you could with the same camera on a satellite. Um, but we've already, it's been determined that these were in fact weather balloons from local sources like a, like an experiment there's like a class that lost track of their weather balloon and it's more or less been confirmed that it was that weather balloon that got shot down and um this is a huge distraction from the Nord Stream pipeline and the train derailment situation and everything else, the the prelude to World War 3 that we're in right now and it worked brilliantly because you, this is a perfect example of the propaganda machine in action. Look at how much they were. Look at how much attention they were able to draw to this balloon situation, which was a, a giant nothing burger, you know. And yet, it sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the air of media echo chambers um, right here at the beginning of World War Three, when we we could be talking about Nord Stream pipeline or something like that. So. I think it's just a massive distraction tactic that has worked brilliantly. It involves aliens. It's people thinking about aliens, which I'm here to dispel that myth right now. I've been really interested in aliens my whole life. And I think that the UFOs are honestly human technology. As my conclusion after years of study and research that the UFOs are, in fact, just human technology that is, in fact, very dangerous and can actually cause uh, Alzheimer's-like symptoms if you encounter these objects at close range. So, um, but yeah, we, they're human, so no big surprise there. It's just the government, you know, keeping technology from us, but maybe for good. That's a great segue to actually what I was talk about with uh, Edward Snowden had, it, sorry, Greg, for one second. Uh, Edward Snowden had a great tweet about this, about how this is attraction from the Nord Stream pipeline and everything we should be paying attention to. But yeah, I'll debate the validity of aliens. Maybe in a later episode, I'm actually a huge student of uh, John Keel and the ultra terrestrial hypothesis, uh, reader of the eighth tower, Mothman prophecies, et cetera. But go ahead. Oh, that will be fun. Um, yeah. I'm just going to throw in some information here. You know, the uh, one that was downed off of North Carolina or South Carolina, um, Myrtle beach, I think it was. Um, we had that tracked from the beginning. It was from China. The other three, I have no information about, and I don't disagree, Brady, with your assessment. They were probably even hobbyist balloons that were just caught in the, uh, caught in the mania. Um, but 
one of the things about balloon technology or a balloon, uh, there's a few things that, that you can actually do better from a balloon than you can from a satellite. Um, uh, electronic intelligence, especially radio um, reception is highly affected by the ionosphere. And if you stay below the ionosphere, it can actually work as a lens so you can get better reception and be able to get more detail. That goes for everything from your cell phone to your Wi-Fi to you know, all kind of that kind of stuff. Optical, you know, granted, you're not the, the amount of atmosphere difference between a satellite and that balloon was so limited. You're right. The optical is not going to be that much better. But there's other ways you can use penetrating um, higher frequency radars and things. Whether this balloon had this or not, I don't know. But these are just the reasons that you might consider that the Chinese would actually. And just to see if we'd shoot it down, which we didn't really until the end. Um, you know, there's lots of reasons to uh, for them to have done this. They, You know, it has been done before. We know they've done it for over 40 countries. They've been doing it for a couple of years. And whether they're just doing it to, you know, see if they can or see what they can get away with and also to just get as much intel as possible as be, would be something that I would, you know, buy into. Again, three of the four balloons were probably not Chinese. The only one that I can say that I would be relatively comfortable saying was, was the one that they shot down off of Myrtle Beach, Beach only because we had it tracked from launch to, to where it landed in the Atlantic. Um, but again, this is not an escalation. This is just China being China, and they're trying to get as much information out of us as they If I can just uh, add another detail, uh, another reason to use a high-altitude weather balloon over a satellite is that, except for a very specific orbit, which is very expensive to place satellites in, you cannot get a a space asset that is dedicated to monitoring a single spot. Uh, so if you want to say to monitor uh, missile silos in Minnesota, then uh, and you needed that asset to be able to keep looking at that uh, region for a prolonged period of time, a balloon that's able to hover over that area uh, uh, continuously is going to be much more effective than a satellite which has to uh, come back around circling the Earth. So that's uh, that's just one other potential reason why a, why a high altitude balloon would be useful uh, on top of what Gregor already listed, but it. What doesn't make sense is uh, what what doesn't make sense to me is uh, it, it's too conspicuous. At least I think so. I I don't think there's any way that uh, the U.S. military can make an argument they didn't see it there. I think they did know it was there and didn't uh, just didn't admit to it until a civilian saw it. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I think this all really goes back to uh, the fact that none of this would be a problem if the United States wasn't giving Taiwan $2 billion in direct funds to purchase arms. It is clear that the United States is trying to make Taiwan the next Ukraine. They're trying to goad uh, China into an invasion 
uh, to basically replicate what's happening in Ukraine, which doesn't seem to be going well. So I'm not sure why that's the plan. I guess, uh, yeah, the first object might have been Chinese in origin, but the last three definitely weren't. And it seems like a couple million dollars were spent of our money uh, just trying to knock down some weather balloons, uh, some hobbyist balloons, which isn't great knowing that uh, inflation is as high as it is. So in general, I think that uh, just how upset people got over this reminds us that Republicans are just as bad as Democrats, like especially on this issue. Um, they just, the Chinese, like, uh, xenophobia is almost just as bad as the Ukraine xenophobia here. So, um, we should be arguing towards peace, I guess, in Taiwan. And, uh, I guess I, I saw last week, I didn't put in this outline, but I'm a huge fan of antiwar.com and Dave DeCamp has a podcast that he puts out every day called Anti-War News. And he said that, the Chinese uh, Communist Party uh, met in Taiwan with the leading opposition party in Taiwan. And it sounds like uh, there's actually a lot of resistance to what the Americans are pushing. I think a lot of people in Taiwan know like kind of what's happening and they don't want to be involved in a war with China. It's just going to be another proxy war. But does anyone else have anything on the China-Taiwan situation or the balloons Otherwise, I'm probably going to move into uh, Ray, Ray McGovern had a speech uh, in the UN regarding the Nord Stream pipeline attack. Yeah, I was trying to decide if I wanted to comment or not, but because it sounds like at least I have a slight disagree. I mean, I don't think we should be supplying arms to Taiwan uh, carte blanche. Okay. Don't get me wrong. That's not something I think that the U S should be doing anywhere. Um, yet part of me is also, uh, you know, the U S on Taiwan has been incredibly weak and incredibly, I don't know, dual personality. Um, on one hand, we recognize that they have a right to exist as a country. On the other hand, we, won't put an embassy there. We won't recognize them as an actual nationality. Um, it, Taiwan and China split 40 years ago. China, the, the CCP views Taiwan as its property. It's not even let they, like they think it's a separate country. Um, so no matter what happens, at some point they will invade to, in order to get control again whether or not we give them, we, we try to implement it or not. Um, I think there's a, you know, there might be, a, I don't know if how much you know the history of between Taiwan and, and China, but you know, there's it, the, it, the, the Taiwan was founded by the people that ran away from the um, Mao Zedong revolution. And uh, Mao Zedong just always thought they were just, you know, the rebels and therefore they should, be considered part of Taiwan or part of uh, China, mainland China. Um, so I don't, you know, and, and part of me is, is that if China, if Taiwan wants to be defended, you know, if we have, we should, if we have an agreement with them to defend, the cost of not defending them would be so much higher um, because of what would happen to the world economy if China took it over. 
Um, now, I'm not saying that we should go to war over this. I'm just, what I'm saying is if we can avoid war and keep the status quo, that's the best solution. Because, uh, you know, the question is, does Taiwan deserve to be its own entity? It can't take on China if China decides to put its full force for however long China can put its full force. But um, I don't know. Uh, I'm rambling a little bit here, but Taiwan is an entity that has, you know, earned its freedom, I think. And whether or not we help support it or not is another question. I think that we need to recognize them as their own entity. Well, I mean, a decade ago, Taiwan was an autonomous entity um, from the Chinese Communist Party. And it's really only because of the U.S. like pushing these issues and Nancy Pelosi like visiting Taiwan that the impending Chinese invasion is even a thing. And it's interesting you bring up uh, Chiang Kai-shek and uh, their like their government like fleeing from the Communist Party because uh, you might know that the opposition to the American influence in China or sorry in Taiwan rather is uh, Chiang Kai-shek's party. Um, the people that are in the opposition right now, like, are the former political party that Chiang Kai-shek formed. So those are the ones trying to reject uh, American influence just because they see the danger that is happening. Um, and they, they don't want a war with China. And uh, I think that if America just got the fuck out of the situation, um, it wouldn't be a problem, I guess. And I could qualify that as a definite maybe. And and again, I'm not suggesting that we should be throwing lives and treasure at that. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the, the I don't know what the proper solution is. I just I would just call the question whether or not if we got out, China, whether or not China would would take over Taiwan no matter what. Um, that is my premise. Is that I I think with China's view, expressed view of the world. They want to just they want to destroy us economically that's been stated they want to and i mean us the us and they want to take over you know they want to have taiwan as part of uh china again that has been stated so you know i can only believe them of what i guess i would take issue with that a little bit just because i don't think they want to i mean maybe they will state that they can take us over but i mean china is surrounded by enemies on all sides I mean, they got Japan. I didn't, take us over. I didn't say take us over. What I said was they're interested in destroying. There's a difference. Uh, I just don't think they have the ability to do that. I don't really think they're a threat in that in any way. Um, I think it would just probably make more sense if America minded its own business. And I guess. Well, and you are absolutely right there, because if we were to mind our own business, if we were to stop producing 90% of our medication in China, if we were to start manufacturing things locally again, absolutely, you are correct. Um, the challenge is, is that, you know, China has us by the short hairs, and if they take over Taiwan, but we have no hairs left. I guess, I mean, I, th I think Dave Smith probably said it best, where like if the CCP said like, hey, or I guess rather, um, if the United States said like we're going to invade Mexico and take over Mexico City, and the Chinese said, "Yeah, no," like what are you going to do about it? You're going to try to like take an entire army across like the ocean and try to like invade Mexico? It's not going to happen. So, in the event that the Chinese do try to take over Taiwan, 
I'm not really sure what the United States could really think to do about it. I mean, we can't really like uh, take a bunch of uh, destroyers over there and try to prevent that from happening. So in the event that that does happen, um, it is the United States' fault because this wouldn't have happened without U.S. influence. And in the event that it does, not really sure what the U.S. could really think to do about it. All right, so I think we're going to move on here to uh, Randy Govern, a great guest on the Scott Horton Show. If you've ever seen him on there before, he was a former CIA analyst of 27 years. So he recently had some testimony on the Nord Stream pipeline attack, and he he commented on how, like, as a child, he hid under his desk under instruction to hide from the Soviet bombs and is uh, – kind of upset on how, like, we need to be afraid about that, that again. So he was the chief of the Soviet policy arm, the CIA. Um, opening his remarks, he made a really good comment, I think, about how George Bush Jr. and Trump both left uh, key treaties with Russia regarding nuclear arms. Uh, they left the Open Skies Treaty. Uh, they failed to extend, like, other nuclear arms treaties. Uh, he also fully backed the article written by Seymour Hirsch, we talked about in a previous episode. So, I mean, I think at this point, I mean, the evidence is out there that the U.S. planned the Nord Stream attack, like, before the Ukraine invasion happened. They worked with Norway. They planted the bombs. Uh, Norway uh, dropped a, a buoy that was able to emit sonar to explode, like, the, the pipeline itself. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. So, he also commented on how there was uh, just no commentary on Seymour Harsh's article by the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, I guess the White House and the CIA explicitly said the claims were false, but didn't really provide any commentary. So another comment by uh, Mr. McGovern was how 20 years ago in the exact same room, Colin, Colin Powell like lied blatantly in front of like the U.N., on weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and the U.S. like is pretty prone to just lying about stuff like this and might not need to take stuff that they say seriously. So he also talked about how just the Russian invasion, the unprovoked aspect, uh, backed up the fact that NATO expansion was an explicit violation of the agreements between Russia and the U.S. and it just... Yeah, I guess we talked about that already. But after the 2014 Maidan coup, um, really the ask was that Ukraine not join NATO and that they not place nuclear weapons there. And we already know that there's silos in Romania and Poland where these weapons like can be placed and probably already are placed that isn't really discussed here. So I guess that's what I've got on uh, the government's testimony. Does anyone have any comments on, I guess, the Nord Stream pipeline situation or just like what's going on in the UN? It seems like the Security Council is attempting to address it, but I don't think we're really ever going to know what really happened. I dropped a link to somebody uh, openly challenging someone to investigate and um, look at the evidence that Seymour Hirsch published. And it's a really refreshing report on your part. I've never, I mean, this is probably the most in-depth report I've heard in the Nord Stream stuff from many of these call-in shows yet. Um, 
so it's a really nice uh, perspective that you libertarian folk have on this. I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, it's Thanks for that. Uh, Gregor, did you have something on this? I just, I'm, you know, I'm still personally, I, I didn't watch that in particular report and I will have to go look it up. I know there's a thing in there and I'll follow that track. And I'm not against blaming the United States for the Nord Stream pipeline. I just have yet to hear any actual evidence. I've heard all kinds of theories. And are we the likely culprit? I'll admit clearly that we are, um, you know, our bumbling Biden decided that you know he was going to say that he was going to take it out, which was like you know well, that's stupid. Um, even if you were planning on it, that was stupid. Uh, but you know, I just I, I'm again, who did it? It wasn't the Russians. They're not going to take out their own. Was it on their own? Possibly the technology. They have the technology. We have the technology. The Poles have the technology. Um, I just don't know. You know, like I said, you, you say there is evidence and I'm not saying there's not. I'm just saying I haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to have to do and dig a little bit on that before I say that such a thing, the U.S., such a thing has occurred. Um, you know, with the uh, in, in, in conjunction with that, you talked about uh, how they lied about, um, ma- you know, weapons of mass destruction. And I'm absolutely convinced that the you know, the, that the uh, administration at the time was given bad information, was lied to about that. I have no doubt about that because, as usual, the culprits, um, you know, the CIA, NSA, et cetera, are interested in moving policy in a certain direction. Of course, they're going to give them whatever information there is. We've seen, we saw that with the Trump um involvement with the with russia etc you know the same kind of thing lies 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 so we shouldn't believe anything our government tells us which is sad because that makes it really hard to um get anything done when you can't believe anything is i don't know i think you're letting the administration off the hook a little bit by saying that they were lied to i mean i think that they probably produced the information that was the lies and just wanted to believe them. And I think uh, what Ray McGovern was probably trying to express is that um, COINTELPRO is still a thing. Uh, I think we've all interacted with the NAFO trolls, I guess, on on Twitter. And the new version of that is like having like thousands of bots, like spreading like CIA disinformation out there. And if you need more evidence on the Nord Stream attack, I would encourage you to read Seymour Hersh's article. Uh, he describes it very distinctly on like how it, it most likely happened. So that is the end of my outline that I have here. Uh, Brady, I understand that you had some questions for us and uh, go ahead with those. Yeah, I was wondering what y'all thought about the Nick Brauna situation and what kind of uh, safeguards y'all have in the Liberty? I may have asked you guys this question once before, but I just kind of want to recap it. But uh, what kind of safeguards the Libertarian Party has against uh, someone embarrassing, like taking over the party and kind of taking it in a weird direction? That kind of happened with the Green Party. That's a, a big concern of mine with the Green Party is in the last election, we had a lot of really good potential candidates like um, Jesse Ventura would have done it 
and the Green Party failed to get him on the ticket. They floated that uh, that guy, Howie Hawkins, just an absolute embarrassment of a, a candidate. And um, uh, also another. So how would y'all mitigate that situation is the first question. I'm somewhat familiar with the Nick Brana situation, but could you maybe describe that a little bit more detail? Well, there he lost a lot of people when he spent like 20 k on like an, a media package, and um, the way that he responded to the sex allegations were not great. Um, and he's just kind of like a lackluster kind of everyone. He's not popular, you know, but he seems to be in control of the whole party and kind of has a stranglehold on it. And I'm like, does the People's Party have no internal structure to, like, replace, you know, illegitimate leadership? And I wonder the same thing with the Green Party as well. I'm kind of like, I understand there was like a handful of people that were just stonewalling any. They're making it difficult for Jesse Ventura to jump in. Um, they weren't, they were against any really good candidates and stuff. Like, I think they should have run Ajumu Baraka and Jill Stein again, if that would have been a possibility, that would have been great. Um, but, um, I, I've, I've kind of lost faith with the green party. They're, they're, they're not as progressive as they'd like to be They're like their hearts in the right place, but they're not good at getting anything done, you know, and they're not very good at organizing and stuff like that. So, um, I've started my own party <clears throat> out of the desperation and um, I'm wondering if you think it's a good idea for me to start my own party um, with, I mean, I'm an, openly, my goal is to absorb the Green Party, the People Party, the Libertarians all into one party that we could all kind of operate under. And even if we lose the election, we can still use the party as a network to get things done as a proxy form of government completely outside of the feds. Um, and it's completely voluntary. Um, the idea is to replace taxes with voluntary donations. Um, so I'm wondering what y'all think, if y'all think I should um, <clears throat> start my own party or if I should run as a libertarian candidate this year instead, maybe for Texas school board or something else. Um, but what do you guys think? Because something needs to get done and I'm willing to do stuff. I'm good at making stuff happen. A lot of good stuff there. Um, I guess in regards to uh, what to do with leadership when leadership isn't doing what you want it to do, um, the Libertarian Party, I guess, is a little bit more complicated. But I guess it, the Mises Caucus is not a democracy. Um, it's based on merit. So in the event that the people in charge of it could have malfeasance or commit some of the things that you would say, we would just take them out and replace them uh, with somebody better. But I think Pablo could probably answer some of your other questions. Go ahead, Pablo. Yeah. Um, so if a party is not going the way you want it to, you get involved with the party and you change the party. So this is the, this is why Peter and I are in the Libertarian Party. We we found that the previous leadership of the Libertarian Party was embarrassing. And because uh, Peter and I identify as Libertarians, we care about a party that called itself Libertarian. I don't know your politics. Uh, I don't know if you're green or a democratic socialist, uh, but uh, you should you should find that structure that isn't working for you. You should find like-minded people and you should inspire them to become part of a caucus that you lead and you drive change that way. Starting an entirely new political party is not impossible, but it's hard to do. Look at what the Ford Party is doing. They're embarrassing themselves. 
Um, having a very clear, committed, ideological uh, cadre of people to help you is probably step one. So uh, wherever you are in the world, I think it was Texas, you should find other people who are who feel like you do and, and start going to your county affiliate and showing up and doing work. Yeah, I'm going to a meeting tomorrow, actually, political meeting uh, with a group group of local activists here in Texas that got cannabis and abortion uh, on the ballot as a ballot initiative. And they do a lot of work here around town. So if there's any messages you guys want to deliver to them, I can certainly do that on y'all's behalf. And um, I'm all about networking and making it happen one way or the other, you know. So What's your party registration? Um, nothing right now, I think. I think I registered Democrat last time, but I, I haven't registered for anything since then. And I need to go and re-register as independent, I guess, huh? Yeah, I mean, you you also you know can 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 pick uh, pick a lane. Uh, what do you know most about? What, so you say that Nick Brown is embarrassing. Well, yeah, uh, every third party you know at some point is is kind of embarrassing. But like, yeah, fi- find find your wedge. Like, if you feel like you're a libertarian and you like what Peter is saying and you like what Gregor is saying, um, and uh, Risto, you should be a libertarian. Um, if you are more of a socialist, find yourself uh, one of those corners. Um, it sounds like you're definitely an anti-authoritarian, and for that I respect you. Uh, but yeah, it's just so hard to get involved with uh, party politics and have rapid rapid change happen. Yeah, I'd rather hop on board with the libertarians this year and just uh, get on the ballot that way. I would just <laughs> but, caution um, if you. Sorry, go ahead, Brady. Yeah, I just need to look over the the core tenets of libertarianism, like the platform and. Uh, see how much of it I totally resonate with. There's a few things that shook me from voting libertarian in the last election. And it was, seems like y'all weren't interested in protecting abortion rights. And it seems like y'all weren't too serious about legalizing cannabis or mushrooms. Um, and uh, Can I ask it was a just question, a, little, right? a little too tea party. A little, I got tea party vibes is what I got from it, which felt I understand what you're saying. And can I ask, um, when you said that, um, you know, you mentioned somebody not being progressive enough, what does that mean to you? Like taking action, doing work, like instead of like, you know, the the talking part shouldn't take too long. I think the talking part should be pretty short and concise, little meetings that happen every day or whenever necessary. And that shouldn't take too long. And I think that the action is the important part. Like, what are we doing? You know, what can we do better? Like, you you specifically term progressive. What does that mean to you? Yeah, specifically in opposition to incrementalism. So incrementalism would be like, oh, we need single single action committees. And then, you know, progress. I think a true progressive would say, no, we need to be doing a a hundred different things at once. All right now, let's make things happen, you know. So progressive just means someone who's good at making change happen um, in a, in a good way for the better. Uh, any number with your thoughts, your actions, your words, your votes, um, your money, how you allocate your energy, uh, your time, you know, um, all those things. Well, the, the couple of things, at least from my perspective and the other libertarians can you know, join in. But, you know, you mentioned two things. You mentioned abortion and mushrooms and, and, and cannabis. And for me as a libertarian, I don't think I want 
the government involved in those things at all, would they be legal under anything that I would propose? Would I vote for their legalization? Despite even what we know now, yes. Um, because you have a human right to be able to do those things and a woman has a right to make a choice, though I may or may not agree with her, I would rather have her have the ability to make the choice, but I'm also not going to make it a requirement or to make it any kind of, uh, you know, a, it's, it's not going, it's not going to be illegal, but it's also not going to be sponsored by the state, the state being either the federal or the, or the, or the local state. And that's not what we have now, especially here in Oregon, where some of us reside. You know, uh, there's a huge budget that goes into promoting and, and executing abortions here. And it's not that we're against abortion. We're against spending the money on this, you know, on the, on the point of the state. state. And here in Oregon, we have legalized mushrooms and, and other things. And, you know, essentially, if you have any kind of controlled substance and it's a small enough amount, you can own it, own it here. And with that, we have now, found we've, you know, deaths from overdose and stuff have gone up, which was expected. But, you know, that's part of the cost of freedom is that you have to allow people to make those. I would push back on that and say that in, I think it was Portugal, they legalized all drugs and addiction rates dropped 80%. And finding between three and four bodies a week in Hillsboro from overdose that weren't here three years ago. So I'll, I'll beg to differ. Just there's other complications, though, Gregor. Like, uh, there's a lot of complicating factors there. And I agree overall. Oh, without question. But again, I'm not saying we should we should restrict the legalization either. OK, you know, it's it's you know, I'm not happy with the results, but I also don't. There are definitely complications and um, problems that come with drug addiction and drug use. It, it, uh, we should uh, tolerate uh, victimless crimes like people who decide to do heroin or smoke crack or people who uh, decide to engage in prostitution. Uh, but we should never, ever exalt those behaviors. Uh, and I think that's the difference. Uh, and, and there's this misunderstanding of libertarianism that conflates it with uh, being a libertine. Those are not the same things. We, we, we tolerate victimless crimes uh, we, and consensual uh, uh, behaviors, but we, we do not, we should not, must not exalt them. As for the topic of abortion, the Libertarian as Party, as a party under the Mises Caucus, has uh, made it clear that this is a, a local issue and this is uh, an issue that the National Party has nothing to say about. It is otherwise divisive and uh, not really an issue that matters to the core priorities of the libertarian party as it is currently constituted and that's how y'all lose me that's where i can't that's why i can't run libertarian you know i mean that would be intellectually dishonest of me to do and that's why i have to start my own party you know um, i don't disagree with you and that's why i wanted to have this conversation because um you know what you're discussing is what many people would call an authoritarian aspect and the libertarian party we're trying to foster is exactly the yes but what would y'all be comfortable allocating tax money towards well your taxation is theft so nothing we think that taxation is a violation of people's uh, property autonomy 
So we don't think that taxation should be directed towards anything. It is not uncommon for all of our candidates at all levels to say something like abolish the IRS. Okay, so how do we achieve we social goals? Well, we, we, we recreate private organizations to foster those goals from the creation. The whole idea is if you have something needs to be done, you would have to you know, create the, the mechanisms through business, through private ownership, through private interaction to get those things done. It will it actually, actually be done. done. Awesome. Then Bill Gates and Elon Musk would own the country in like two months <laughs> if you guys were to win all the They, they own the country now. And they only exist because of the state. This rich. And Elon Musk specifically is a, a beneficiary of state subsidies that help Tesla grow like it has. So I, I don't see any evidence to show that in a libertarian society, which is essentially a, a, an anarchist society, that uh, a market anarchist society, um, why, we, if we would have companies as big as Google in the present composition. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're really keen on, on, on that thing. We do have a problem with oligarchs in, in America, around the world. That, and what they do is they take advantage of state power in order to acquire more wealth and create barriers of entry to new competitors. And, and so. Yeah, it would be very different for, you know, if you took away all the money that Elon and, and uh, Bill Gates both and Apple, for that matter, and all these other large corporations that get all kinds of subsidies and, and um, breaks and tax breaks from the government. If you took all of those away and actually made them to compete, would they even exist in their current form, or would there not be a number of different companies like Microsoft, where you can actually have a choice in, in operating systems, or, or you could actually have, um, you know, where there be, you know, we right now we're in an interesting situation where we have like seven small um, rocket companies coming up. They're all testing their rockets. They're all trying to fit into these different niche markets. Some of them actually don't have government subsidies, and yet they're able to slightly expand and fill in the, the little tiny holes that SpaceX is not going to be able to fill. And that's a good, good thing. thing. Let's take, for example, like um, the water infrastructure in a lot of cities needs to be completely like dug up and redone, right? So like... How do you execute a project like that without taxes? Like, how do you do that in a private, like what private company is going to want to do that? You know, the company called RWE globally, the, the, the water infrastructure requires $3 trillion of upgrades. So not just in the United States, but all around the world, municipal water systems are old and need to be repaired and overhauled. So this German engineering company exists and they see, uh, they see an upside to investing in building out water infrastructure. Now, what happens is the, the cost of water goes up, but in exchange, you don't you, you drink clean water and not Flint, Michigan water. And um, what, what I hear a lot from people on the left of center, and I, I totally get it, is they say X or Y or Z, healthcare, water, etc., is a human right. It is, but like there there are there are costs to like maintaining a, a water infrastructure that are very real. Um, there are different solutions. I by no means am an expert. I just happen to know about RWE and water infrastructure because I'm from Southern California and kind of went down a rabbit hole. 
But um, yeah, great question. I guess I would just say that uh, all government is is a monopoly of force. So they're just demanding like payment through violence. Um, we have to assume that people want water. So if we had a, a system where people could voluntarily contribute to having water, it would be better than the system we have now. I mean, it's it's funny because uh, we would never like put the government in charge of food, for instance, even though it's like so important because we realized there would be shortages, it would be expensive, and there would be bureaucracy. But we somehow put government in charge of things like law and water, I guess, and order. And there's no reason to think that uh, the beauty of the free market couldn't provide for these other solutions and a better situation. But we just can't judge these alternatives because we have no like room to actually judge them because the market isn't able to act in these instances. Okay. So, but who would then, I guess it would be the people of the city that would have to pay the German company or who, what X company to uh, totally redo the infrastructure of the water system. And it would be like a totally voluntary private thing. I see what you mean. That's kind of cool. Like replace the water bill, but and it's kind of like, yeah, there still be a bill. There will still be a bill. You just pay it to a different entity or exactly. It, yeah. entities. And it might be, it might cost more, but the water quality would be better. And that would all be negotiated between the citizens the, the, the working class or whatever, and the customers and the company. It would probably actually cost less actually after the government inefficiencies are canceled out. We could actually get some real um, infrastructure in. Uh, Brady, there's a really interesting chart and I can't find it at the moment, but um, it's a chart of, of the average price of different goods in different sectors of the economy, like healthcare versus like televisions. And it sort of measures how regulated the, 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 the sector of the economy is and how that's affected price. So, Highly, regu highly regulated markets like education, like the price of college, healthcare, the, the price of medical care, compared to the price of like flat screen televisions. Like every year, flat screen televisions are getting cheaper and better, whereas every year, healthcare and education is getting worse and more expensive. And one of the big differentiators in that is that, well, you don't really, we don't really have a free market healthcare system in this country because there's such occupational licensing issues um, like, for example, before there was widespread, like uh, a monopoly on medicine through the American Medical Association, uh, b having your children born at home was common. And there was this healthcare worker called a midwife that would provide that service. The American Medical Association is a cartel that licenses medical workers in the United States. They basically put midwives, midwifery, I believe it's pronounced, uh, out of business because they're not medical professionals. They just did one thing, deliver children. Um, there are th we, we are humble, even though it doesn't sound like it, but libertarians are humble in this one aspect. They know we can't plan a perfect society, but we think there should be 100 million different experiments to try to figure out that solution to water. And there will be some failures, um, but we think that risk is preferable to the current state of things. And I think, yeah, subsidies are out of control in this country. Subsidies are to blame for what you're talking about. Um, we subsidize, you know, technology. We subsidize sugar. 
we subsidize meat, we subsidize uh, all kinds of like like GMOs, we subsidize the fluoridation of water, you know, and I think not in that, Portland, uh, Oregon. FYI, the, the, the city of Portland. Nice. I think that's pretty cool. And I'm interested to see kind of how that plays out, you know, in the, just in the dental arena, you know, I want to see how it affects cavities in that area. That's a really cool experiment that we're running up there. You know, how many, how many years they've been fluoride free? They've never had fluoride. It's been like decades. Okay, cool. So we have data to work with now, huh? That's pretty interesting. That's somewhere to we look. We do have a bad fentanyl problem, um, unrelated. Then, what about fentanyl? It was my my my, my bad joke, but yeah, you know, there's a fentanyl problem in Oregon. In fent that, but that's unrelated to fluoride. N never mind. As there isn't. Oh yeah, no, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> but my, my solution to the fentanyl overdose crisis and the the opioid crisis is psychedelics. There's a psychedelic therapy called iboga which has a massive success rate in not only curing the addiction, but the withdrawal symptoms from the drug as well. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that that should be subsidized. I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I like the way y'all's model sounds, but I think it would be used against us to destroy us pretty quickly. Um, Honestly, uh, I feel like the little stranglehold we have on freedom right now, or the little, I should say, the, the slight little grasp we have left on freedom is being etched away from out from under us. And, um, well, I guess well, that's the key aspect, right? If I could just interject, uh, it's that libertarians advocate radical decentralization of power and uh, bringing power down to the most local level possible. So like we have more influence over like our city and state governments than we would ever have over the federal government. So it should be like those governments like making the decisions and we can exert influence over those. Like ideally, of course, like many of us are anarchists, not all of us, but we'd prefer like a voluntary order. But uh, like you talked about earlier with uh, Amazon and like, You've actually convinced me on the on the private on the privatization aspect of it. I think you guys have totally uh, convinced me on that aspect. And so, uh, where you guys would still lose me is in that I would just want to see more transparent democracy within the party. Um, That's going to be a problem. And you guys said that. that <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, we hate. That's democracy. a big problem, though. Why? Why? What do you mean you hate democracy? No. The fastest. I, I, how do we make decisions without democracy? Well, oh, look at history. The fastest road to tyranny is through democracy. Every place that true democracy has been tried has been turned into a hellhole. So, how do we vet and decide leadership? How is leadership selected? Through merit. Of the fittest. I mean, we agree with them or we don't. I mean, I think Franklin, I guess, said it best. Like, sorry to be like uh, hacky, but democracy is uh, two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. I mean, inherently, we just think that democracy is a bad system. I mean, fifty-one percent of people shouldn't be able to rule over the other forty-nine percent. I can push back against that comment very easily by saying that that man was not talking about democracy. He was talking about a false dichotomy that was posing as democracy. 
true democracy has been rarely experimented with and it's feared by the, the very founders of this country, actually. They, they insisted on not having a democracy. Right, because um, whenever a democracy is, is employed, what ends up happening is you end up with a tyrannical dictatorship. And I would point to France, Russia, um, Germany. These are all instances where democracy brought about tyranny in these, some of the worst cases. They do Those are just good the, today. Like... Russia, I'm uh, sorry, I mean, Hitler's not France pretty is really good. good at making things happen. <laughs> like, and they're pretty good. Germany is producing like nearly 90% of their energy with solar. They're they're staying relevant in the technological progress. Uh, they're smart, you know. And uh, they're backing it up. Paid that they had to reinstitute because the solar didn't work for everything. So. Yeah, they had to reopen all the coal and, and gas plants in order to keep that solar working so that they could heat their homes. Um, you know, I'm not against solar. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I just think okay. solar is... Yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's okay if you got to fire up the coal plants every now and then, you know. But if you're doing it with 90% of solar, that's pretty awesome. You know, that's, an, that's, a, that's a pretty admirable goal that they've achieved. You know, and uh, I think that direct democracy is so important um it's it's foundation it's it's a foundation of my whole party idea is transparent democracy and making the democracy as direct as possible and that means that you can um elect people to vote for you essentially and this happens completely outside of anything else it's just like hey if you want to sign something that allows someone to vote for you or you want to copy their votes you can do that that's an option in the party within the party. Oh, you know what I mean? That's what a republic. So it's like, yes, well, I mean, I disagree instead, with that as well. I mean, to be honest, uh, I think that groups don't make decisions; only individuals make decisions. So the only decision that is made is like one that is unanimous. I think in a libertarian society, there would be like a contract that, like, okay, these are our rights that are immutable and eternal, and you wouldn't actually need. A, a direct democracy to make decisions for the body at large because those decisions are already agreed upon. And if you had to make any decisions on how to use like a resource or if you wanted to like build like a general store, it's just things that people would do. I, I think that you wouldn't need like a function, like a political system in order to exist because if we all agreed on upon like our rights, then it wouldn't be necessary. Well, how about policing? How does it, how do we handle the issue of policing? Like, what if you got a drunk guy in the town, and he takes the, he, he he takes the liberty to drive his giant truck into a small family's house? You know, like what do we do, what do we do in that situation? What if he doesn't want to pay? What if he doesn't want to fix what he what he? I mean, private property rights are the basis of all rights in a, a true society. So I think you would replace police with private security uh, in all cases. And, and I guess in the specific case you're talking about, uh, this person would just be forcibly removed from society if they refuse to pay. I mean, we, we envision like much smaller communities and much smaller societies than we have now that are far more localized. So if you have like a bad actor in your society that refuses to follow the rules that are agreed upon by all their individuals in the society, they would be asked to leave. And if they refuse to leave, they would be removed. 
and even under you know current law tort law you know the people who were damaged would have the legal ability to try to extricate extricate the uh um you know using a court system and it's not like there wouldn't be some form of tort law just because there's always been a form of tort law and it would continue to exist the people whose house was damaged would be able to get some recompense somehow um and if not then it would be um you know it would be up to up to the neighborhood the up up to the um people around to help them get back on their feet and to as uh peter said uh, extricate the offender from society and let him move on to someplace really great conversation uh, i think we should probably have like another room just to discuss like these and other issues but i think we're going on a little over an hour here i think we've covered what i wanted to cover tonight um I'm going to leave some time for a closing thought from the speakers on here. If you want to say anything, go ahead. I mean, I, I certainly have some ideas to make y'all's party better. If y'all want to get more in depth in that sometime, or yeah, I actually agree with you guys on that, um, that a, a truly free market would solve a lot of problems. Yeah. You'll find that we're far more willing to engage on really any topic than I guess you'd find from tankies and I guess the upper right uh, as libertarians, we are obsessed with consistency. So if you point out an inaccuracy in our worldview, we will obsess over it until we find a solution to it. So uh, Gregor, Pablo, anything you want to say before we move on? I'll say that you guys are legitimate progressives. That would make you guys uh, legitimate progressive by definition, by, by my definition. Okay, well, then we have to, you know, once again, there's a question of definition. I did a show on Wednesday where um, Lance and I were having a question on what the definition of capitalism was, and he could not come into, he could not understand what everything he was saying wasn't capitalism. But um, thanks, guys, for having me on. It has been a pleasure. Um, as usual, this conversation was wonderful and stimulating, and I look forward to coming and playing again. You know, just remember... It's all about finding what works and and striving to make it work. And, you know, as, as libertarians, our job is, I, 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 our, our stated goal is to make sure that we get rid of the big government and make it as tiny as possible. So thanks guys for having me. All right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, really excited to be with you all. And uh, next Friday, we're going to come back to World War One. We're going to talk about the history between uh, Russia and Germany leading up to the World War One conflict. We're also going to talk about the sinking of Lusitania and the U.S. entry into the war. So on our ongoing series to explain what we can learn from World War One to avoid an impending World War Three. So thank you, everybody. And uh, cheers. <laughs>